Welcome to the POV Hamilton podcast, where we're talking to innovators, educators, leaders, and builders across the steel city. We have the most diversified economy in Canada, and there are hundreds of stories waiting to be told of the people, the companies, and the organizations making it happen. Here's whose point of view you'll be listening to today. Mark Chamberlain, and I uh, am involved in a number of projects, uh, some from a business perspective and some from a uh, social innovation perspective. I uh, started my business career um, in the early 80s and uh, ended up buying, uh, doing a really early uh, management buyout of a small company. It was called Histech. Uh, they were doing uh, less than a million dollars of revenue, about 15, 16 people. Uh, I joined the company for a couple of years and then do the management buyout in 1987. And then we grew that company to about uh, $200 million public company. We were uh, one of the first ones, uh, in fact, the first uh, commercial building uh, to go into the innovation park up at Highway 5 and 6. So we were the one of the anchor tenants. And that time from the early 80s. Um, most businesses and, uh, in fact, even investors into real estate didn't quite often cross Highway 6 going west because it was Hamilton, and Hamilton was a very successful city, but more around a large uh, traditional industry. So we were an early technology company from that perspective in the area. Um, and even the ecosystem of lawyers and accountants and people you need in part of your ecosystem, you typically had to go uh, Waterloo or Toronto. Uh, to get people with the experience that was required for high tech and uh, particularly international. Uh, so we grew the business. Uh, I was heavily involved in the ecosystem, but through that business, I uh, had the pleasure of uh, having an individual like uh, Ty Shattuck to join the company originally as a, a program uh, manager, and he grew to being a very successful uh, VP for us as an organization in quality and quality management. And then when we spun out and created uh, uh, some of our own investment opportunities after I left, uh, Ty was a partner and uh, now we see him as the head uh, of the MIP. We were one of the early uh, folks to go into MIP uh, with some of our, some of our projects. Um, when I left uh, Westcam, I got very heavily involved in, uh, again, more about the, the ecosystem of technology and entrepreneurship and how we could foster it going further in the Hamilton area. So I uh, met and became good friends of the then uh, VP of strategic uh, and R&D at uh, Mac. He invited me on the, uh, the board of directors for the Ontario Centers of Excellence. And uh, I was also invited to be on the board of uh, McMaster. So I got an insight in terms of what uh, the challenges were and what the, the issues were of how we take technology to market. Uh, spent seven years on both of those boards, but at the uh, Ontario Center of Excellence, we created, um, around the time that we were really looking at the entire overall ecosystem in Ontario, how do we become more competitive in that ecosystem? So I was part of the kind of a transition of, of how we would look at it and how we would bring the successful elements of uh, communities around uh, Ontario, uh, Communitech, for example, of Waterloo. And how do we uh, expand that type of thinking and learn best practices and implement something here in, uh, in, uh, in Hamilton? I was asked uh, then by uh, Mandu Shukri, they were saying that uh, uh, they were uh, putting in place uh, the, the, the groundwork to own this, uh, what was going to become and now become the MIP. Uh, so we were really involved in discussions there. And of course, he and uh, others like uh, 
Nick uh, uh, Marquettos were heavily involved in making that happen, very entrepreneurial, intrapreneurial in terms of what they were doing at the university. And Andrew asked me if I would lead uh, with Nick the, uh, the creation. Um, again, part of what we're doing at Ontario Science of Excellence, but what we needed to do in our community to create uh, the, uh, the I will, I'll say Communitech, but it's a Communitech lookalike in terms of how do we create our own regional innovation uh, capability. So I took that on with Nick and began forming what it looked like, bringing out other groups that were doing similar things in the area, but trying to bring them under one umbrella. Um, and uh, uh, ended up um, forming what we thought was the right idea. We then uh, went after the, uh, the Ontario funding to actually fund the start of that. Uh, the interesting story there is that uh, while we were one of the early anchors at the MIP building, um, so that we could kind of again set a, an interest by others saying, hey, this is, this is happening, this is real, uh, and, and Mac is leading in this area. Um, I met a fellow uh, by the name of Keenan Loomis. I really liked him. I thought he was a really uh, tremendous individual. So uh, uh, the company that was running at the time, Triberis, we actually hired him uh, on our nickel and said, hey, you're going to help us uh, put together the proposal and the, uh, the requirements for uh, getting our funding, but setting the baseline of what uh, our uh, innovation groups look like here in Hamilton. And so he took that on with us. Uh, we ultimately uh, got the funding. Uh, we hired a fellow by the name of uh, Ron Newman, uh, who was a uh, serial entrepreneur and uh, uh, wanted to come back to Hamilton and joined us as our first CEO. And, uh, and Keenan became a, a key, very key uh, employee uh, of that organization to build the initial uh, background uh, and the, the base for what is now the Innovation Factory. And the third individual that you mentioned in all of this is, is uh, David Carter. And of course, when Ron left, I was, uh, had the pleasure of being, I think, the chair at that point in time of the uh, board of the Innovation Factory, and we hired David. So I have uh, wonderful connections. And of course, uh, we all know uh, Keenan. Um, he uh, took an, another big step. Uh, and uh, for him, it seemed to be a small step because he's handled it so incredibly well as the, the, uh, the head of our chamber. So uh, it's a real pleasure to have uh, worked and uh, been part of uh, a small part of uh, their journey, um, each one of them, and they all contribute significantly to what is the innovation culture, the business culture, the social culture of, of, of our communities we see it today. What drives change uh, essentially, and maybe not just something, totally, are people. Um, the people that come to our city, uh, take a stake in our city, uh, saying, I'm going to stay here. I want to do something here. Uh, I want to build something here. So uh, what has changed for uh, where we are is, again, a, continual, a continued influx or training of people who are here and staying uh, in terms of saying they want to take a part of, uh, of what a future may look like in our, in our city. Uh, and they do it uh, by their skills, by their energy. And then of course the collective energy uh, goes up. So a big change is we have in, in, in the mid eighties, there were very few peer companies in the, what I would call high tech growth areas uh, of ourselves. And we happen to have been here um, by history because uh, the company I bought was actually a spin out of a company that used to be here uh, called Westinghouse. And so as a tech company, they were unique in Hamilton to some extent in, in their era. 
Uh, and there was a number of spin-outs at that time, uh, which was uh, well, ultimately it was Linear Technology, which became General Corporation, uh, and others that came out of Westinghouse that actually created a bit of a bedrock here. Uh, uh, and it points to the fact that you need growth large technology companies uh, to spin out and create uh, the uh, basis, if you wish, of the industries that support these companies. Um, large companies are also required. So the other thing that's changed in uh, in our city uh, significantly over that time frame, um, Westcam or what is now L3 Harris didn't exist when 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 I was here. They do exist now, and they're over a thousand people. So that means they've got a significant support structure around them. Other companies that support that company, uh, suppliers, uh, legal, accounting. Uh, all supporting companies of this nature. Um, and then there's also people who grow there and leave there and stay here and grow other companies. And so this, this ecosystem, it takes time to grow this, 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 this uh, the stuff at the ground. And then as it grows, it starts spawning other things. And then dead trees come down and more stuff grows around the dead trees. Uh, and it's that kind of ecosystem that is here today and, and strengthening um, and that wasn't there uh, 25, 30, 40 years ago. Um, you know, when I look at um, uh, the things that maybe um, still need to change is that when people, uh, it all comes down to people wanting to be here first. We know that in, at least in the industries that we're in, there's still a lot of really strong core resource businesses, uh, more of the hard uh, core businesses within, uh, within our, our, our city, but even they are affected and grow based now on a technology framework. Um, so steel is a very technology driven business. And so it, all of these things all point to that we need people and we need people with ideas and because ideas is the is the raw material as we all know I'm not not my words but others um, so that has changed um, but the other is there are our, our, our core institutions um, they too have changed and what they've done I mean I say core institutions I mean hospitals uh, colleges universities the amount of research uh, and the amount of if you think of you know where number one is, uh, of our success is people. Uh, where do these people come from? How are they trained? Who trains them? And you look at our large institutions that are heavily funded. They're large. Um, they have R&D, but they're, they're, they're commercializing through the fact that they're training many, many uh, individuals that when they graduate or when they join in the R&D and the amount of R&D that goes on in, uh, in these uh, organizations like the hospitals, for example, the spinoffs are, are, are significant. And sometimes the spinoffs are company spinoffs, but so often the spinoff is talented, trained, um, uh, creative people who decide to stay and then create these new opportunities. So our major institutions where I say they've changed is that they too have become more aware and have built within their infrastructure and their processes and, and what they do towards of saying, for us to compete, for us to exist, for us to supply the services we need to do, we have to be creative and innovative. And we have to, again, focus on those kinds of people, those structures, those kinds of ways of doing things within our organizations. And again, it's not that it wasn't happening 40 years ago, but today it is a primary focus and direction and energy that goes into these, that kind of thinking in these organizations. So 
all of these organizations, they too have all, I would say, grown up um, in terms of, of contributing. Uh, and, that, and then having this connectivity with the with your with basically with everything else that uh, that we're all trying to do as entrepreneurs. When I got involved in the uh, early uh, 2000s with the Hamilton Community Foundation, it gave me a uh, it, was, it was interesting a lot of analog to uh, working in a company. If you think of working for a tech tech company, you've always said that this kind of trite, but there's no such thing as really as a tech company. It's actually the are people companies that their main product is technology. Um, because it always comes down to people. How do you manage people? How do you encourage people? How do people, how do you create the environments for people to be creative um, and and to uh, ultimately for us to be successful? So in other words, there's, there's social organisms uh, with a specific product market. Um, it turns out cities are like that too. Um, our communities are like that. And it is all again about the people in terms of uh, what makes it a place you want to live, work, and play. And so, uh, through the eyes of the Community Foundation, I, I began learning an awful lot about um, what is it that makes cities successful. And if we believe that cities being successful will mean that uh, our businesses and our communities will be successful, and vice versa, then what are those determinants? What makes that happen? And so I had this wonderful uh, opportunity uh, on the board. Again, for some reason, I stay on things for seven years. So seven years of Community Foundation and chaired for a couple of years. I got an insight into our community that is all the other things that are not business, but everything else that's important. And so when we took on and I chaired the poverty roundtable for a period of time, uh, you get to begin to understand the, uh, the almost the, uh, the human development model in the sense that in terms of where do you invest, how do you invest, what are the things that make healthy people, healthy innovators on one side, but healthy, happy. And all of that sounds kind of funny when you say, what's happy got to do with, with, with profit? Well, I can tell you in the business context, if people are happy, they're actually more creative and you'll be more successful as a business. So it's not a bad thing to measure. And, uh, but from a community perspective, um, you start seeing those things that affect, even though we don't necessarily see it, we've lived it, we've all gone to maybe elementary school, high school, a lot of us went to college, university or whatever, uh, or into the trades, but you say, what determines those individuals that come into our companies and how successful they will be and therefore how successful we will be? Well, it turns out that, uh, and we kind of all know this year, but our best investment, if we want to be a really creative community, all the things that we're talking about, the innovation factory, you know, MIP, hospital research, uh, university research, it starts, well, actually starts prenatal, but it certainly is invest in your kids, invest in their environment, invest in their uh, learning. Um, and so suddenly when you put that context to it, you start seeing the gaps, you start seeing the things that we could do significantly better. Um, so what it allowed me to do, having come from a business perspective and then going into the poverty project, I used to say, and maybe still say, is that uh, poverty and prosperity are two sides of the same coin. You have to invest in both. The things you invest in one are the same things you invest in the other. There are some differences, clearly, but so much of it is, again, looking at the human development model and what you have to invest in different places. And so it points to things like, if you want really healthy children, you have to invest in them. It means that you have to invest in their education, um, their environment, you have to invest in their health, their wellness, their well-being. And if we do all those sort of things, 
they stay in school longer, they get educated, they have self-esteem, all the things you require for really strong individuals in a creative economy. We got involved um, in uh, about 10 years ago in a project around cycling and it's because of my son. He had an idea that uh, we should make Hamilton uh, a safer place to cycle. He was a cyclist, he always cycled everywhere. So we said, okay, fine, how are we gonna do that? So we started a project about, um, again, 10 years ago, we said, what if we could help kids get to and from school um, uh, and just safely, what does that mean? So we looked at it from the standpoint of what are the barriers to it? One of the barriers were a bunch of kids didn't have bikes. And so when we talk about is that we are now getting involved as an organization, we really are talking about transportation, but the underpinning of it is that we're actually talking about children's health. How do we make them more physically and mentally healthy? And so our, our really simple premise is that, well, kids go to and from school, except in the COVID year, but kids go to and from school every day. What if we could turn that into being that one piece of exercise every day, even if it's only for half an hour, does that make a difference? Well, it turns out it's huge. We know that exercise as a, uh, as a uh, determinant of health uh, significantly impacts your mental health, significantly impacts your uh, physical health, and it significantly impacts uh, your scholastic or your cognitive capability. And studies have shown very clearly that if you're healthy and if you've had exercise, you learn better. And so that was our purpose of doing that, uh, saying let's get more kids being healthy. Um, and it came again because of, uh, our, of my son. So when we started looking at it and we started and we kind of took the same approach you would with any business and saying, well, what, what problem are we trying to solve? So the first problem we tried to solve was, well, there's a whole bunch of kids that uh, based on equity can't afford bikes. So we said, well, let's at least eliminate that. Let's start creating a program that we get bikes out. So we had an annual bike ride, raised a bunch of money, some, some other funders and started going school by school and providing those kids that didn't have bikes with bikes. We worked with another great organization in town, New Hope, and they did much of uh, cycle training. And uh, we did that for about five years. And over five years, we provided just shy of 2,500 bikes uh, over about uh, six, seven schools. In our last year uh, that we provided bikes in, in, in great numbers, we, uh, we had a goal. We actually got to distribute over a thousand bikes uh, to a thousand kids. So, so the premise being is that, hey, that means a thousand new riders. Uh, and our goal at that point in time, when we actually were looking at saying, wow, this is great. So that was at about year five or six of our program. He said, well, by year 10, let's set a goal for ourselves. Let's see if we can get 10,000 bikes out over 10 years to the kids in Hamilton, to the students. And it was all elementary schools. Um, but then we took a step back and uh, looked at it from a strategic perspective and saying, you know, how, and this is a lot of the training we did that I got from a community foundation, but also in business is that, again, what problem are you trying to solve? Um, and the problem that we were trying to solve as we realized was not getting all kids a bike and therefore making sure everybody had a bike. The real problem we we're trying to solve is, can we help as many kids as possible be healthy because they walk and or cycle to school? And so when we put that lens back on it, we looked at it and we said, you know, um, 
it's 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 it feels good. It feels wonderful to give thousands thousands of new smiles every year. Is uh, when you get a thousand kids with new bikes, but were we really hitting the target of getting a thousand new riders or a thousand new walkers? And the answer was it was hard to measure. And so we looked at it and said, well, probably not, because there was other things that actually prevented that were more uh, uh, prevented uh, the kids walking cycling to school, and it was basically it was safe infrastructure. So. When we took a step back and looked at it from that perspective, we say, well, it's not that we're not going to be in the bike business with kids, but we need to take a step back and say, we need to be in the safe uh, and behavioral change of a child and a parent saying, I want you and I want to ride or walk to school because that's my preferred way of doing it. Now, we have to recognize is that, you know, in the catchment areas, a good chunk of kids in the elementary school system are within two kilometers of school. And um, some of them, a lot of them get driven. And uh, some of them still get bust because of infrastructure challenges. And so we took on a project and we started looking and saying, well, how do we legitimize the investments that are required so that kids can walk safely to and from school or ride to and from school? So after looking at all the various projects, we decided that the way you legitimize the and, and maybe focus the investment that's required is that we have to claim that the a child transportation system to and from school actively has to be viewed the same way you look at any other transportation system, whether it's automobile uh, or whether it is uh, the HSR, uh, which is the of course, Hamilton Steel Railway, our bus system. And you have to approach it as though you're solving the, the total problem of, of a transportation system. So we created this thing called uh, an active transportation system for kids to and from school called uh, not the HSR, but the DSR, which is the daily school route. And so we're on that project now. We've uh, made some great gains in terms of the kinds of projects we're working on, but it's a very comprehensive uh, systemic approach to uh, active transportation for kids to and from school. It involves uh, schools, city, uh, it involves uh, teachers and principals. It will ultimately involve neighbors, but the primary, the target, the primary focus in the, what we want to make sure that they are in the position of lead, because uh, they are the ones that are the ones who will walk and or cycle is the child um, and their parent. So we're building that infrastructure, the supportive uh, nature of that and uh, are marching forward. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, our goal, even though that it looks like all the effort is around transportation and infrastructure and behavior change, for us, it's really about healthy kids. I have incredible, uh, call it faith, um, belief in a number of people that I have met, a lot of younger people who are, are incredible in this work, in this city, um, that are making incredible uh, differences, uh, have incredible passion uh, in terms of what they want the city to look like because they want to live here, they want to work here, they want to raise their families here. So, but this is an incredible city because it's got in incredible people. And I, I just think that uh, uh, those individuals uh, going forward are, are, are the ones that are gonna make significant change. And, and I just see more and more of those types of individuals with those attitudes that kind of break down the status quo and challenge the, uh, the old folks like us to say, it can be better, uh, let's make it better and we're going to make it better. So I'm, I'm very positive about the city of Hamilton. Thanks for listening. 
Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. And please consider rating and reviewing as it helps others to find the show. For more information or to listen to past episodes, go to povhamilton.com.